0: Well, good evening again. I want to welcome you to the six o'clock worship service at the Memorial Church of Christ. And I want to thank Jason and uh, for that prayer and Dalton for that scripture reading. I appreciate that, brothers. I appreciate it a bunch. The topic tonight was not really difficult because it's similar to a question that I ask myself all the time. And that is, what do you want me to do? What is required of me? Or, Or what do I do now? When I attended a different school, what do I do now? When I went into a different job situation, what do I do now? When children came along, what's required of me? When I've gotten us into debt, what do I do now? There are biblical answers to these questions, even in the secular work. Every position I've ever had, whether it was secular or in the ministry, it's the same thing. What do I do? What's required of me? Well, tonight, our text gives us what God requires of us. If we ever ask him, what do you require of me? Well, the answer is very, uh, uh, very easy. It's act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. In the book of the prophet Micah, the Lord, through Micah, introduces a case against his disobedient people the children of Israel. The children of Israel responded with a series of questions which began with a basic religious requirement and then progressed to a question which could be applied only to a very few people, if any, and then finally total absurdity. To their questions, Micah responded with what God requires of his people. Now I'm gonna be using Micah and God interchangeably. Micah is a prophet of God, he's a spokesperson of God. It's kinda like an ambassador of one country to another. An ambassador officially represents one country on behalf of the president or the leader and reports to the host country what that president or leader wants him or her to say. So Micah is God's ambassador and what Micah says is what God wants him to say. First of all, in verse 3 of our text, God says to Israel by the prophet Micah, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Medium. Well, Israel responds in verses six and seven. And they respond in a series of three questions. Their first response is in verse six With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Brothers and sisters, that was a minimum requirement, a sacrifice. A minimum requirement so to speak. The answer to Israel's sin, their problem was not another sacrifice. The answer was much deeper than that. It went far beyond any philosophical religious observance. They needed heart surgery and not the type of heart surgery that doctors to bake in Cooley performed. And then not the kind that uh, Mark Lambert performed. You see, without a contrite, obedient heart, Israel's conformity to the law of Moses was nothing more than hypocrisy. It was the minimum requirement to give a sacrifice. And may I add, our own conformity to do as little as possible as they were doing even in the trials of COVID-19 falls under the same category. About three years ago on what we call Easter Sunday, I saw a sister in the hallway who I had not seen in a while. We had communicated a few times by phone and, and by text. I greeted her warmly and I told her I missed her. She responded, well, Brother Larry, I know that I've missed a lot but you can count on me to be here at Easter and at Christmas. Definitely. This is a super extreme minimum requirement if you can even call it a minimum requirement. Now we could take this illustration a bunch of different directions, but I'm just gonna leave it right here. And by the way, other prophets tried to communicate a similar message to, to uh, the Israelites, uh, Isaiah, Hosea, uh, Amos, all, all the others. But unfortunately, God's people are sometimes slow to heed the message. All he wanted from us and wants us to do is to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly now, their second response in verse 7, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? They have digressed rapidly here. It's a hyperbole. Even if one could give that much, no one was going to give that much. It is an extreme exaggeration. Were rams important to sacrifice? Yes, what did Abraham, or what did God provide Abraham before he was about to sacrifice his son, Isaac? It was a ram. Was oil an important element in some sacrifices to the Lord? Why, sure. What did the woman use to anoint the feet of Jesus? An expensive oil. Was it a waste? Well, maybe at face value it could be called a waste, but it pleased Jesus because she did anoint his feet with the right attitude. See, that lady had some heart surgery. So she was doing the right thing. But let's getting back to the text. Thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil will not please the Lord. Even if someone could give that much, the attitude of the heart would have to be perfectly in the right spot. But more than likely than not, even the riches of the rich, we're not going to give that much. It's not needed to please God. Have we not realized that God does not require more stuff to please him? He's obviously worthy of much more, but it's already his. So multiplying our gifts or our talents or our activities to the Lord to try to appease him is not what he's looking for. He wants your and he wants my contrite, obedient, repentant heart to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Now the third response is completely absurd. Still in verse 7, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I don't really know if you could get in any worse spiral downward than that. They are showing that they would say anything with the exception of what God wants or required. It's another far-fetched hyperbole. No one's going to sacrifice their firstborn, uh, except God, of course, and we're grateful for that. I have one son. You can't have him. I am not going to sacrifice him. So it's really kind of strange, don't you think, to offer that kind of excuse, may I add, Now, after these three responses from Israel, Micah records God's response. And in verse 8, Micah, through the Lord, says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Well, that's great, Phillips. Thank you. So what does that mean? Well, good question. (laughs) I'll let you know in just a second. You see, I don't believe that we're much different than the children of Israel. I don't believe that our mindset is much different than the children of Israel. And I don't believe our response is too far off of what the children of Israel gave. God's response was deeply rooted in the law of Moses. God's people should have known what they needed to do. And in fact, I believe they did know what what God wanted them to do. But it's just that they were so caught up in their sins that they just didn't have it in them to repent of what they were doing. From Micah, from God's response, he is saying he did not desire their religious acts. He did not desire their religious sacrifices. He did not desire their religious procedures or exaggerated offerings. Instead, the Lord sought Israel's justice, loving mercy, and humility to flow from their hearts. It really wouldn't hurt to read Micah seven, uh, Micah 6. It's only seven short verses or chapters. And in it, you will be able to see how unjust the Israelites were and how much they lacked mercy and how proud they were. Okay, verse 8. The first requirement of the Lord is to act justly. Act justly is living with the sense of right and wrong. For Micah chapters 2, 3, and 6, injustice was a problem in Israel. The judicial courts had a responsibility to provide equity and protect the innocent. And yet they weren't doing it. Do you believe that applies to us today? Well, it's a resounding yes, it applies to us today. What in the world is the world doing right now, today, across this country? It is acting unjustly. Many people are acting unjustly. More people are not. Unfortunately, we don't see that. But many people are acting unjustly. And Here's where we come in. You come in here. I come In all the unjust behavior Now listen to me. This is important in all of the unjust behavior In the world that we live in today, are you acting justly? What are you saying to your friends? What are you doing for your friends? What are you doing to your neighbors? What are you doing for your neighbors? What are you posting on social media? Are you promoting goodwill and justice? Or are you enticing injustice with your cute quips of insanity? Now think hard about that. It is important in epic proportions. Every person in the solar system wants justice. So let's do what God wants. God's second requirement is to love mercy. According to the Hebrew scholars, this means loyal love or loving kindness. Israel was not only to act justly, but they were also to provide mercy. Here's a little quick test for you. From which movie does this phrase come from? No mercy. Well, for me, it's easy. It's a piece of cake. It was Karate Kid, the first one. Before that famous kick, Daniel's son needed some mercy, and he needed some justice. That movie was released in 1985. But 11 years earlier, in 1974, I learned a valuable lesson about mercy from one of my mentors, Bob Davidson. I had the privilege to go on a mission trip to Southeast Asia with he and his beautiful wife, Mert. And they took on the task of taking four university students and a recently graduated high school uh, girl And we went to Thailand. Steve Evans, Tom Cooper, Harry Hamilton, Cindy Wheeler, and me. Now in Bangkok, that's where we spent most of the time. But in Bangkok, we were playing volleyball in the International World Games. Well, actually it wasn't the International World Games. It was just a pickup game between the preacher students and the uh, visitors from the United States. But International World Games sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? We were good, but they were good. We had a couple of weak spots on our team. They had a couple of weak spots on their team. We took advantage of their weak spots. They did not take advantage of our weak spots, and we were winning. Oh, man, we were winning big time. We scored point after point after point, and the reason we were winning is because we would bump, spike, and slam to their weak points. Bob D. called timeout, and we huddled up. His words had been etched in my memory for a long time. He said, guys, we're playing good and we're winning. Keep playing hard, but don't hit to their weak spots anymore. Show some mercy. It's an incredible lesson, just an incredible lesson in showing mercy. God's third requirement is to walk humbly. We need, and I'm speaking more to myself than anyone else on the planet, we need to realize that we are nothing without God. One illustration for the reason I'm speaking to me is the one that I just gave you about playing volleyball in the international world games. It's a lot more impressive than to say a pickup game. We might have attended a great university. We might have acquired knowledge from a world-renowned trade school or from the school of hard knocks. But we need to know that it was God who gave us the ability and the stamina to stay the course and be successful in what we do. For sure, yes, we put a lot of effort our own effort into it, but remember from where it all comes, and don't brag about the stuff you do. To walk humbly is a description of one's attitude of the heart toward God. Don't forget how you got where you are. I heard a saying a long time ago, and I've heard that Coach Daryl Royal gets credit for saying. Don't forget who brung you to the dance. It just remembers where you came from and how you got to where you are. One of my favorite illustrations about being humble, and remember one has to be careful about talking about being humble because it's easy to mess up your own humbleness. So I'll use the example of somebody else another mentor of mine, Dan Warden. Dan and I went to a youth minister seminar in Lubbock, Texas. Dan was the preaching minister at the A&M Church of Christ at that time, and I was the youth minister. Some of the speakers at that conference, John Paul Blankenship, Big Don Williams, Wally Wilkerson, some of you old guys will remember those initiators and pioneers of the youth youth ministry in the Churches of Christ. At the closing banquet, the closing supper, everything was set. Dan and I took a seat at one of the tables as everyone else did. But John Paul approached us and said, Dan, you need to be at the head table. We have a place for you and Larry. What if we would have sat at that head table and it was for somebody else. And we had to move. Well, that would have been pretty embarrassing. But you see, Dan deserved to sit at that table. And the reason, in my opinion, he deserved to be at that table was that he was the first full-time youth minister in the Churches of Christ but he was humble enough to sit at another spot. That my friends was a great, great lesson on being humble. In the Holman Old Testament commentary of Micah, Trent Butler wrote, instead of taking pride in what we bring to God, we humbly recognize that no amount of personal sacrifice can replace a heart committed to justice and mercy. Israel's rhetorical questions had a three-part progression. And verse 8 contains a similar progression. Butler continues, The response of a godly heart is outward, which is to be just, to do justice. The response of a godly heart is inward, which is to show love and mercy. And the response of a godly heart is upward, which is to walk humbly. The message of Micah is still very pertinent today. Summarizing the three points again, the external compliance to rules and regulations is not as valuable in God's eyes as a humble heart that simply does what is right. A heart that is just. Religious rights, no matter how extravagant, can never compensate for a lack of a loving mercy that is a heart that is loving and merciful. And we cannot be just and we cannot be merciful if we are prideful and stay puffed up all the time about how great we are. God wants a heart that is humble. People today in the year 2020, on Sunday, July the 12th, still desire justice, mercy, and humility. So our question for tonight is this. Is my heart full of justice, mercy, and humbleness? Maybe someone in this vast audience needs to return to God. Do it. If you don't know how, ask. Maybe someone in this vast audience needs to obey the command of God and his son and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Do it. Don't wait. And if you don't know how, ask. If we can help you with anything, please let us know. If you want to communicate with one of the ministers here, go to the website, mcoc.org. You can find all of our email addresses. But the most important email that you can send is to the elders at mcoc.org. That goes directly to our shepherds who guide this flock spiritually. If we can help you in any way, please let us know in any way you can. Let's pray, please. Father in heaven, you're such a wonderful God, and we love you, and we praise your name. And Father, right now, we do ask for a heart that is just, that is full of loving mercy, and that is humble. Father, we want to do your will. And many times we don't. And we are so sorry for that. But thank you for your son, for his sacrifice, for you giving him to us. So we can be your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.